Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. What's up, Brian? Hey, hey, Bobby. Here we are, episode three of series eight. Man, we've come a long way and recorded a bunch of shows. Hope you guys are enjoying Indeed. every one of them. But this is the wrap-up for end-of-year review best practices. We've talked about a lot of things, but in episode one, we talked about getting started. It's all about how you manage yourself and the data for your end-of-year review throughout the year. It's not waiting to the last minute. Episode two, we talked about getting prepared. How do you collect all that data? How do you put all that data into the best format possible? And then how do you practice to share that data? And then today is episode three. It's all about getting rewarded. We all love this part. And if you're just tuning into this part and then listen to the other two, you probably won't get rewarded. But uh, we got some good tips for today. For this series, we've, we've constantly called out a, a singular quote that we put on top of this thing. And it is, in business, words are words, explanations are explanations, promises are promises, but only performance is reality. This is from the ex-president of the ITT Corporation, and man, it is so true that performance is about all that matters in today's work world. It is, and, and Bobby, this one, the getting rewarded part, is probably the hardest one for me, so I, I, I've been looking forward to this episode. It's not difficult to for me to set expectations with my manager. It's not difficult for me to keep track of the activity that occurs over the course of the year, and it's not hard for me to ask a customer for business after I invested all this time and energy in improving out the solution. But for whatever reason, it is, it's, it feels more uncomfortable uh, to ask the company that you work for for more money. You, I don't know. Does that, is that uh, something that resonates to you? Well, I think there's maybe one to two, maybe even three types of people listening, and, and, and I'm not picking on any of you if you're in, in any other category than what I started in my career. Kudos to you, but I started in my career as a police officer, my adult life, right? Whatever you want to call it. I, don't know they, I thought it was the career back then, but you know, I did a lot of work to get to this police officer's job. I was covering the streets of Houston, Texas, and I was making a whopping $29,000 a year. Um, and I had to buy my own gun. That's 600 bucks. I had to buy my own bullets. That's about $50 a box. I had to buy my own bulletproof vest. And I thought it was just, that's what everybody does. I think there's still people that do all that today as they are police officers. And now I'm in a world where I get paid exuberant amount of money. I don't buy my own pen for anything that I want to write on. I don't write, I don't buy my own paper. I don't buy my own laptop. If I want another power cord, the company buys it. And so I don't take any of that stuff for granted. Uh, of where I came from and what I what I get today, but the there are people out there. These other two categories. I think there's kids that that don't know any better. Meaning, they come out of college. They were told they're going to make almost six figures on day one, and they expect it, and then they they get it, and they continue to expect it. So they've got a, a no holds bar attitude about asking for more, uh, which becomes extremely presumptuous when you have no experience. By the way, if you're one of those people, and then there's some people that you know maybe came from wealth. They worked really hard, went to school, they made great grades, and they earned a great job where they're making a lot of money, but there is there is this level of respect, but they don't know what making a little bit of money feels like, um, and they may or may not have trouble asking. But I, I would say I've learned to ask, Brian. Long story short, to your point, I've learned to ask, and I think Microsoft taught me to learn to ask because 
one ask made me tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm not, I'm not bashful to say it. And I will hopefully articulate to the listeners how we did that back in those days and, and why it was worth asking. Well, good. I'm looking forward to getting this episode because I think I've got, uh, there's an opportunity for me to improve here. So let's do it. So it's all about getting rewarded. And we talk about how much it could be worth. Brian and I have given a few examples over the last, I don't know, six, seven, or eight weeks about if you invest the time, it's worth a lot to, to invest that time because it could be worth a real big bag of money. So I just want to give you a couple examples of, Brian, what I put together in preparation for today's episode. I think that at the, the low end, even if you're uh, an up-and-coming sales rock star, this could be worth hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Let's just say $100,000, this one meeting. And I would doubt that many of you can go on a meeting with a customer and get a $100,000 commission. So if this is your end of your review, I'm telling you it could be worth $100,000. So let's say that you make $100,000. Let's say you're that up and coming two, three, year four rep, had had success. You're making $100,000 on your OTE and your manager says, I'm going to give you a 5% raise. That 5% raise will follow you forever, right? So if, if I get, if my next year's 105, then I'm going to get, I'm going to always improve upon that next number. So let's say I'm going to get that five grand for the next 15 years. That's a smooth $75,000 that's going to, I'm going to get five grand this year and every year after for 15 years. And let's say that I get $10,000 in stock um, that is going to also grow, uh, hopefully, as I grow. Maybe I'm a rock star the year before. Let's just say it's 10% raise. That's almost $200,000 over 15 years uh, in just true cash that I'm going to earn by being the best, preparing for this conversation, and getting somewhere between a 5 and 10% raise and a $10,000 stock award. Do you see that that math is real? I do, and I think you. some people may think of this, of course, as just as the company that you're working for. So you'd expect that if you got a 5% raise, then the the basis of your promotion or inflation, you know, if you get a raise for the following year for inflation, it's all going to build off that rate for the company you're working for. But I'd say on the other hand, too, if you were to go work for another company, Oftentimes, your salary at the company you just left becomes the basis for what they offer you a promotion for at the new company you're working for. So it's not just where you're working. It's where you could be working in two or three years from now as well. I I recently, my last manager job at EMC, I had to ask people for W-2s to prove that they were successful, right? I mean, anyone can say, yeah, I've had these big blowout years. But they actually made people produce W-2s before they gave them a final offer, which I thought was pretty bold. But, you know, you could hire some some mediocre or average reps based on just a little bit of verbiage, right? I had a, I had a buddy that uh, had an incredible year, got promoted into a specialist role uh, that had that had a kind of abnormally high salary given the, the role that he was in. It was kind of a temporary project type role. And then... It, it happened that he left the company and that that W-2 number was the basis of what they built his uh, new salary on at one of these big consulting firms. So it is very much a thing. Uh, and, and asking for these, as difficult as it could be or will be to have this conversation, becomes the basis for many, many years of income. And so that'll lead me to my second 
one, and this is maybe a few years down the road for some of you or some of us, but this is a million dollar example. This Again, this meeting is worth a million dollars. So let's say you make 200K today and it's a 50-50 split, meaning you get 50% base, 50% commissions or variable compensation. And I get a 15% kicker on my OTE. So that's now 230 in the following year. Um, but in this meeting, I do a good job of preparing and I negotiate or kind of talk down my quota for the next year because we're taking on some stretch projects. I'm taking on something else a little different. My manager feels that it's time for me to get rewarded. All that goes down and I make double money. So now I make a double double dip on my commission and my commission's already bigger. That's $100,000, $130,000 that I'm making for double money. Could be two hundred dollars if I'm actually doubling that double of the double money. Um, and that's, let's say, for 10 years because I'm further down in my career. That's 10 years at an, at, at, that that hundred is going to stick with me. But then in that 10 years... The next year I get promoted, I get another raise on top of that. So now I'm, my OT is 260. That's $60,000 for 10 years. That's 600K plus a couple hundred K. What are the, what's the stock in those levels going to be? And it, it does maybe seem like it's going to happen anyway, right? That inflation or these, these, these promotions are coming. But man, if you accelerate these a couple years early, and you, you're you're 45 like me and a young boy like you, Brian, 40 years of age, you know, you accomplish it before a lot of other people do, then it does compound in those, those years to come when most aren't even there yet, right? So these could be worth hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars if you prepare and you're not average. You're reading it goes back to what we talked about in the last episode where we prepare all this time for a customer meeting, right? And because we want the commission, we want that, you know, $1,000 commission, $10,000 commission, $100,000 commission, whatever that, whatever it is in between there, right? We prepare all of this time for this meeting. Why not invest a little bit in yourself and, and getting this right? So let's get started today. Again, episode three, getting a reward, getting the big reward, hopefully. So we've come up and we've got three topics for today. It is the big day. Well, how do we deal with the big, maybe the anxiety, maybe the nerves, maybe a lot of feelings and emotions for the big day? How do we keep the conversation on track? It's really easy for this to get slippery and get out of, out of get off track. And then finally, we've done a lot to come this far. It's the big day. It's worth a lot. We're going to ask for something, and we really think you should ask for more. So it's the big day. Keep the conversation on track and ask for even more. So... I'm going to ask everybody to bear with us, but we are going to go over the basics. Uh, you're all at different stages in your careers. This is a big meeting. Uh, it's doesn't, you don't have to come in jeans and a shirt. You don't have to wear khakis and a pullover dress accordingly. Um, Brian, you and I both have a, a, an acquaintance, a friend we've managed with him many years together and apart. Uh, Steve Marzullo, he told me one time at Microsoft customers don't spend millions of dollars with a sales guy who wears polos. Uh, and we were both young managers at the time, and, and I've always repeated that. He always wore a jacket, often a tie, probably of the Italian nature, not meaning not cheap. Uh, and often I repeat that. And, uh, and often I hear people say, well, people have spent millions with me and I wore a polo. And I often respond with, well, how many times have they done it more than once? And I don't hear many replies to that right now. I'm not saying it's not possible to sell millions of dollars in a polo. 
But if you're going to get millions of dollars from this conversation or even tens of thousands of dollars, put your put your A game on, right? Dress up a little bit. Agreed. The, uh, the challenge I think some people run into is that if you – if you're the casual guy at the office all the time, right, that it's hard to unwind that. You you can't just go from jeans and a T-shirt at the office every day to uh, a suit and a tie to the office every day. It looks far too fake, I, I think. I think people will see through that. They'll think, okay, are they interviewing for a job? There, there's some ulterior motive there. Um, and I, think, I do think that the culture is changing a bit in terms of what uh, customers expect for dress to look like. So if you are, if you if you can get away with wearing blue jeans, wear the nice fit blue jeans. Still buy the Italian jacket and wear the Italian jacket with the blue jeans. Right, like there is a way to pull off a casual look, but but to to look really sharp, go for that. But it, it the the challenge is if you wait too long on this, it's hard to unwind. There's a guy I know uh, real well that it like incredibly sharp but doesn't part of it Bobby I think is executive presence in a way too don't you think I did for sure and I think he's he has struggled to kind of to to change to to have that shift in perception it's because uh, it was always so 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 casual that um, if you all of a sudden okay now I'm ready to be an executive it's hard to make that switch right like you will you just show up in a suit next week yeah, I, would, I think maybe my point, too, is not just about this meeting. I'm saying step it up all the time a little bit, but this yeah, is a big agreed. meeting, right? Um, you know, I, maybe just a notch above the everyday. Show some respect here. This is a big deal. It's a big meeting. Your manager might have their manager in it. But Brian makes a great point. If you dress in, you know, sandals every day, you can't wear loafers to this one and expect people not to see right through it. So... Dress up a little bit more every day. Be a little bit better. Try not to be average, uh, but don't 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 take this meeting for granted. I think is probably the key. And then, you know, a backup of a backup of a backup is probably the the right way to put it. Right? Bring hard copies. You may never use them. Print the hard copies on nice paper. Bind them. Do whatever you can afford to do, and be creative in your approach to having these backups. Um, have a jump drive with your with your presentation on it, with some documentation on it. Have that copy to the cloud, so if you have internet connections, you can you can do it. You know, it it doesn't have to be exactly what the manager says. You may never use that stuff, but come very very prepared. Anything you would, I guess, coach on as it relates to this sort of stuff, Brian? Hey, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that I've got much to add. Other than there, um, I'll never forget there was a new guy that had joined our team. Um, a few years ago, and it was his first team meeting. It was the end of a fiscal year. Uh, so he had just joined the team at the end of the fiscal year, which is always a little dicey, right, for an end-of-year review because they're basically drawing on one month, two months experience that will you know, impact your rating, your, you know, your, your incentive compensation, all that kind of good stuff. And he was asked to kind of give a presentation on his background, his experience, the competitor he worked for. And he kind of fumbled like that. He, that was like the kickoff to the meeting was intro to so-and-so. And it was this big opportunity, right? So like just to set the tone of like stack rank himself to, to really set the tone. And he was kind of fumbling around on his computer a little bit. And he finally kind of weekly said, um, 
I don't have the presentation. I forgot. I can't. I can't find it. I think it's on my other computer. All right. And it's like, man, what an opportunity missed. And like, I'm not saying that now he's stack ranked at the bottom or anything like that. But look, if you think that wasn't measured, oh, it happens. And you talk about if I was in that room and I was a leader in any form, that that's going to be hard to recover from. I mean, I I can see past it after a lot of other goods. That is a big, big miss. So don't let that happen to you. No doubt. You can't unring that bell, can you? No, sir. And then be ready. Like, if you're thirsty, go drink something. If you got to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. Don't don't let all of that stuff get in your way right before you, your meeting starts. And the last tip, man, I, I am so anal about being on time. If you're, if you're there 10 minutes early to me, you're probably a little bit late. Be ready. Be early. Sit outside their office. No matter what it takes, they might be late. That's okay. You be on time. You be early. Agreed. So we've talked about it's the big day. We've given you a lot of tips on how to prepare for the big meeting and how to get there and be on time, etc. Now, how do we keep the conversation on track? This is a meeting where your manager is probably going to be one of two things. Exhausted, overwhelmed, or maybe a little underprepared. Uh, I've been a manager at four, four big companies, managed lots of people, and I can tell you, the end of year review process for a first line manager with anywhere from five to 10 direct reports is the most difficult time of year. What, what would be your reflection on that time of year for you, Brian? It's, it's a challenge. Like you, uh, you tend to schedule these all together. You still have a business to run. You're either wrapping up the end of a year or kicking off a new year. You still have your day job that you're responsible for, but now you have six more one- to two-hour meetings on your calendar to where you have typically type A people pressing you to know how they stand, what their review is going to look like. It's a, yeah, it's, I mean, not that you should feel pity on the first-line manager, but, yeah, it's a tough time. On top of that, they're spending a few hours on each one of the... If they're good managers, if they're above average managers, they're spending a few hours on your review as well. They've probably collected data. Uh, maybe they're listening to this podcast and found new ways to categorize and collect data on each of their employees. But they have to pull all this together. They have to write a synopsis. Hopefully they're going to write it after you give them some feedback. But if you've been doing it all right throughout the year, they have a lot of time that they have to spend before these meetings. So you talk about a 40-hour work week. I've got my normal 40-hour work week, which is probably 50 hours, plus 20 hours worth of meetings, plus another 20 hours of preparation, and a bunch of people who want to tell me everything that they've done great. So it's a lot of work. Um, so you have to keep the conversation on track. The manager, if they do them all back-to-back, as Brian said, uh, which I believe I mentioned in week one of this series that I, I stopped doing that a long time ago, but if they do them back-to-back, they're going to run over and they're going to be late or they're going to have to go to the bathroom and they're going to start yours late and they're going to have uh let's say you're second in line and brian went right before me brian will have brought up four or five probably pretty good things to my manager that he hasn't been thinking about or should be thinking about and he's going to ask me for my thoughts and feedback i'm not giving up 30 minutes of my one-on-one or my annual review because brian had a few damn good ideas i want my time so we have to keep the conversation on track Anytime those tangents pop up, you will lose time. So work real hard to table them, put them in a parking lot. We can talk at the end of the meeting about them if we have time, or we'll schedule another meeting 
as a follow-up to talk about all these great ideas that Mr. Brian had. And I think it's why it's so important to rehearse your, you know, you're not doing like a stand and deliver presentation for this, but at least rehearse the flow of the slides, right? Because you'll want to know, you, you want to tell a story with your end of year review. Now, of course, there will be in some cases like a certain format these have to go into, but when you're building out that PowerPoint presentation, part of it is just making sure the story flows because if it's awkward and doesn't flow, that you have an even better chance for there to be some weird tangent thrown into your conversation. Agreed. And if you're like at the end of the line, there's four or five other people in front of you, the manager's going to be exhausted. He will have heard all the wins. He will have heard of all of it. And yours might seem a little monotonous. So you've got to find ways to prevent them from talking about other people in your review. Remember, if you did the right steps at the beginning of the year, you and your manager became, came up with metrics and goals, attainment goals for you. Keep on track, focus on those goals, relate to those goals, and not what everybody else on the team did or didn't do. Um, it's your chance to get your story out. If you practice, it should be easy. And then a, a great way to keep the conversation on track and something that I've done consistently for the last 10 years is I want to go first. I'll go first. I'll set precedence. Um, I think it does a lot of things for you when you ask to go first. Uh, hopefully the manager knows what good looks like. Maybe they get to know what great looks like. And then they, they don't have all those other thoughts and side conversations in their head yet. You guys are going to get to start on time. And I think he or she will measure everyone against how you did when you went first. Agreed. If you, if you do it right, uh, like you said, then uh, the people following you will have to do as good a job, if not better, to, uh, to outshine you here. So it's a great – I love – whether it's a prospect meeting, um, an interview, an end-of-year review, I always like to go first. I, I think that sets you apart. So finally, for this episode in this series, we are going to ask for more. This is our chance. I'm assuming it's almost always naturally at the end of the conversations. Uh, they may have had a preview if you had to put a bunch of information or asks in a tool. If you've been told to send your deck beforehand, uh, I might be uh, apprehensive to put this slide in there, maybe leave it out. But either way, this is the time to ask for more. So you got to kind of decide what stage in your career you are and what's most important to you at this point. There's a lot that can be asked for, and we went through some of that in the first episode. We've talked about it in many other episodes, but what is most important to you right now? And you have to be extremely intentional. Um, you can ask for more cash, meaning base salary or total compensation. I think that's more of a short term, but with long term effects. We just went through some math on what's it like if I got a five or ten percent raise. Um, I might I might be more interested right now in some long term stuff like stock or some cash incentives that will, will vest over a long period of time. Um, maybe more matching to my 401k if, that, if that's a possibility for your company. What about the stage of your life? I mean, I'm at a point where, I mean, time off and, and making every golf tournament with my son is very important. Maybe time off is the most important thing to me, and I forego some cash compensation for some flexibility. Um, and then if you're really trying to climb the corporate ladder, this might be a time where you forego some short-term cash or even some long-term incentives and you ask for more opportunity. Like, I, I need time with executives, other leaders. I need stretched assignments. Um, and, and you could ask for a little of all this, but I don't think asking for a little of all this ever is going to work. 
you have to be very intentional. Pick one, one and a half of these that you're really going to bet the farm on uh, and know exactly what, what you think you were worth and deserve and be able to tell that story. I was thinking in kind of preparation for this episode, I was thinking, because this is a struggle for me, this this kind of very direct ask, this conversation. And I'd be curious to get your feedback on it, Bobby, too, and hear kind of how you approach it. But one, one way that I'm comfortable making this ask with my manager is I've already set the expectation that I want to be the top guy on the team, right? That's, that is my goal. That is my intent. When we sit down to have this end of year conversation, that it's, you know, ideally I have accomplished and I have achieved what I'd hoped right at the end of the year. So it'd be a conversation around, you know, for me, it's stock, right? I I want the kind of long-term investment in the company. That's, that's my goal. The, the conversation could be with your manager if you want this. And if having a direct conversation is a challenge to you is to say, you know, help me understand. This is kind of role-playing a little bit, Bobby. Help me understand. My goal is to be the top person on the team, so-and-so. Um, what, you know, if we look across the organization, what does a top stock payout look like? Yep. And how do I get the, how do I get there? Like, what is it? what would it take for me to get there? And sometimes how, managers how won't it? know that, but I'll tell you what they will know. They'll know what their last mm-hmm. stock award was, and they'll, yeah. know, they'll know what a baseline can be or should be, um, and that, that could be a floor in their mind. They, they've probably heard stories. They've probably seen it. it. I think this goes back to not waiting until this is the day. right? Why, when you're in that first conversation, and we've talked about this, if you're wanting to be number one and your long-term incentives are what you're shooting for, he or she should know that. And and you could have those conversations throughout the year. Hey, you know, last quarter when we did a checkpoint on, on our review cycle, uh, we were talking about, you know, what, what is possible for a stock award. And you had said you were going to follow up with your manager, maybe to a skip level. Did you come up with some ideas, right? You have to be intentional, hold them accountable. Uh, we should, I don't know, Brian, if you've experienced that, but that should make it a little bit easier, right? That you're, you're, you're teeing it up and helping them as much as you're helping yourself. Yeah, I'll give another example. It, it comes, it, another ask could be to be part of a, you know, part of a leadership training program, right? But most companies kind of have some sort of stretch program that they can put their top people into. If, if you're looking across, let's say you're a sales manager, you have 10 salespeople on your team, you have the top performer kind of year over year after year. I think most people think that that top performer, without even asking, will be part of that that leadership program. But I can tell you, Bobby, and I'd be curious to see if you've had the same experience. That's not the way it usually goes. The way it usually goes is you have maybe the number two guy or the number three guy. And they may have been good performers, maybe even great performers. But they're the people that were very intentional about saying, this is part of my career planning. And they, you know, they still hit their numbers. They still achieved all that kind of good stuff. But they were very intentional uh, like you're like you're calling out here, they're being very intentional about what their goals are early and often, so that whenever that manager is sitting with the other managers, determining what the new program is going to look like, who they're going to nominate from their team to be a part of it, it's not new. They're not having to say, "Well, maybe the top guy on my team or or girl on my team would be part of that." It's the person that's two or three that that's been very intentional. I'll add one last little thing to that is, you know, I've seen some not high performers on those teams because they screamed and cried about it. And it was easier to put them on the team than to listen to them continue to scream and cry about it. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that I would say is 
sometimes number one and number two don't want to be on that team because it's not going to get them the advantage that they've been intentional about, whether that be more cash, more time off, more opportunity. You know, a leadership development program might not be what they're trying to get. So it all comes back to being intentional and then driving what you want. And I would say the other key here is if and when you ask for any of this stuff, whether it be early, mid, late, or at the end of the year, and you're told no, understand why you're being told no. Your manager, if he's worth anything, uh, he should be able to articulate to you why you haven't achieved it, why you shouldn't to receive it right now. And then you and him or you and her should easily be able to come up with a plan to where you can get there. Uh, I can say I know I had a peanut butter manager one day, uh, one part of my career. If you don't have never heard that term, that to me is someone who spreads it out evenly across the entire team. Uh, I worked my tail off. I achieved a lot of big goals that year. And I know I got the exact same bonus as everybody else on the team. I know I got the exact same amount of stock. And it was just demoralizing to me. Um, that If you have that manager, run. Run as fast as you can if you want to achieve great things. But when you're told no, make sure you get the reason why you're told no. Agreed. So ask for more feedback. I, I think if it's if it's all positive and they say, yeah, and you're doing a great job, keep up the good work, and, and I would say vague in general, then then you have to push them for more. Uh, it's the, Don't let them off with the easy button. Uh, and if they give you feedback, very prescriptive feedback, both both critical and hopefully positive, capture that and decide how you want to play it back to them, whether it's in the tool, whether it's in your deck, whether it's in an email, something, uh, so that they can reread it. They, they might correct some of the negative. They might think it sounds too harsh. But uh, I, I like feedback and I like to articulate it because I want to remember what we're working on. This is great. This is gold for your next year review when you guys are coming up with things you're going to work on. So uh, hopefully it's a lot of positive. But if you are getting some criticism, then put that in your deck. Talk about building a plan and keep it in that deck so that document's continuously living with you and growing with you. I'm really big on this too. I think if there is the the feedback that may be challenging feedback to receive, look at feedback as a gift. We had Bobby, you know, I had a great manager that that talked about this a lot. That all feedback is a gift. Really seek to understand that feedback. Think about examples. Think about where he or she may be drawing that that feedback from, and then reflect back on that situation and replay that situation. We we, t- we were joking about it in the last episode about how like some some of this is kind of a little almost a little bit of parenting in a way, but um, you know if if they understand that you understand the challenge or the feedback, it won't continue to be an issue. But if you act as if if you act like uh, that's not a that's not a big deal, I don't need that kind of feedback. It all it's going to do is continue to get brought up until you digest it and fully understand it. So so seek to understand it, seek to digest that feedback. I might have experienced that a couple of times in my life where I didn't quite digest it, but I I have a few things resonating in my mind going, Yep, yeah, he was clearly wanting me to digest that. So I, I do remember some of those points in my life in my career life. And finally, I gotta say, when you're done, say thank you. Uh, it's not necessarily their money, it's not their stock. Maybe it's not their company, but maybe it is. And it's got to be spent or given to somebody, and they gave it to you. So take time to say thank you. I can remember being a manager, putting in a ton of effort into the reviews, knowing that I had 
listened to everyone's comments and feedback, and I really stack ranked my team. I rewarded the people accordingly. Um, and I can remember some people not being appreciative. And that was it was a kick in the gut. It really was. Um, so none of this is easy work. What you do as a sales rep, what your manager does as a manager, take time, say thank you, and reflect on it. And then, yep, it's going to be a new year. You're back to zero. Start all over again. Yeah, and use it as a learning experience. Track those things that you didn't track the year prior. Start now. Like th- This is the perfect opportunity. I started a little bit late for this year. And I, I, like I mentioned, I kind of went back in my calendar to start working it all through. But uh, yeah, hopefully you can use this as a framework to prepare. Have a great uh, end of year and then get prepared for the next one. As always, average is the enemy. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this end of year best practices was a very valuable series for you. If it was, please share with a friend. Post it on social media. Put it in a Reddit article or something. Help us out. Get it out on the www for us. We would greatly appreciate it. As always, thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.